One question I'm often asked is, what can a gardener do now? My guest today is landscape architect and author of The Kitchen Gardener's Handbook, and she's going to give us some suggestions of things to do now in winter. Hello again and welcome. It's Ken Drews, and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And it's a kind of a funny question because it's not like, you know, how do I make my hydrangeas bloom or should I feed my plants in the winter or not? And the answer is not. But uh, today's guest, Jennifer Bartley, does have some suggestions for food gardening and food growing in the winter right now. And she's growing some mash or mache or whatever you want to call it, uh, some leafy greens right now under cloches in her garden. But one thing that she has written about and talks about is that this is a very good time to look out the window at the garden. It sounds funny, but remember to look at the garden, and that's a, a, a terrific idea and a good thing to do in, in the winter. And how many times do you not do that? Now, you can go outside and walk through the garden if there's not snow on the ground that's too deep or if it's not too freezing cold, but look out the window and think about the window that's the main place that you sit, your major view of the garden, is that really doing all it can? Should you add some shrubs, some evergreens, maybe some things with berries to look at in the winter, some things with dried flower heads that would look good, seed heads? Well, there is a lot that you can do in the garden, and of course now we can turn to the indoor plants. And I know that Jennifer, since she's so interested in food, she's growing citrus indoors. She also brings in a lot of herbs and containers from her garden and grows them under lights in the kitchen. Now, you may not be able to do that. It might be too warm, or maybe you don't want to do that. But citrus, we all can grow citrus. If you have a sunny window in a cool room, Jennifer does it under lights. But uh, just think about it. A Meyer lemon, if you don't live in California or in Florida, you could have a citrus plant that will give you some citrus fruit for the winter. Well, I'm interested in talking to Jennifer about how the garden can look better, especially if it's a food garden. Food gardens are notoriously hmm, messy. And I want to know from her what she can suggest, because she designs food gardens that are not messy. They're actually beautiful. And she does them for clients, and they're not going to tolerate a garden that isn't beautiful. But also they want a garden, a potager, a kitchen garden, that gives food, delivers herbs, provides for the family all year round. Her first book was Designing the New Kitchen Garden. So I know that she has some great ideas for designing. And the new book is The Kitchen Gardener's Handbook. So there's a lot more direct how-to advice. And I think her suggestions will have something to do with architecture because she is a landscape architect. And architecture is one way to make the garden look better. Structure. Something to look at. Could be hedges, could be edging, could be the next suggestion that Jennifer Bartley gives us, and she's going to do that right now on Kendra's Real Dirt. So stay with me for the interview with Jennifer Bartley. Jennifer Bartley is a registered landscape architect and founder of the design firm American Potager LLC in Granville, Ohio. 
She is passionate about creating, creating outdoor garden spaces that are well-designed, functional, and beautiful. As she says, gardens that feed the soul as well as the stomach. And I'm into that, too. And, uh, well, making a beautiful food garden or a garden that's beautiful that has some food plants in it, too, is uh, it can be a challenge. But I'm very pleased to welcome Jennifer today as our guest. Thank you. Hello, Ken. I'm happy to be here. I want to start at the beginning with that challenge of making aesthetically pleasing edible landscapes because a lot of food gardens or vegetable gardens are not really the prettiest things. And I know that's your passion. Yes. Well, I it's a design issue. And there are many things uh, we can do from a design standpoint to make the garden uh, elegant and appealing. Some of those things... Um, are walkways. How do you get through the garden? How do you move through the garden? The walkways can be uh, different materials. That's, that's one idea. Stone or brick or they can even be, you know, um, uh, gravel paths or mulch paths, something like that. Edging to um, the beds. I prefer, you know, I, I love the very linear, rectilinear square raised beds. I love that. A vegetable garden doesn't have to be that, but it fits very well. So how, what, what do those edges, what are they made of? Are they made of granite? Are they made of stone? What about a wattle fence? And then how do you get into the garden? How do you enclose the garden? What does the fence look like, the wall look like? So some of those structural things in setting up the garden um, really set up how it can actually be a garden and viewed as a place, as a destination, as a place that we love to be in, um, set up a table, set up some chairs. In my design now with vegetable gardens, I really incorporate a place to sit because we want to eat in the garden. We want to um, sit in the garden. So, yes, the kitchen garden, the potager, really becomes the new um, hearth of the home. Mm. It's, it's the place that we want to eat, live in, work in, um, sleep in, camp <laughs> out, you know, watch the stars. Um, so those are some basic ideas. Well, I know that you had some of those things in your first book, Designing the New Kitchen Garden, and your new book, The Kitchen Gardener's Handbook. Uh, well, I, I'm hearing that architecture is an important aspect of what you do. Because uh, all those things that you said had to do with living outdoors, being outdoors, and having structure, having a structure to the garden, which I, uh, is something I, I think is a really good idea because a lot of vegetable gardens don't have it. Yeah. Now, in the, se- in, in the first book, um, Designing the New Kitchen Garden, I had actually gone to France and photographed some of the great edible gardens there. I designed some gardens. There were some American gardens. Um, So it's a great inspiration book. In the second book, uh, it's also a great inspiration book, but I go outside the formal potager, really to the rest of the landscape, to think, how can we transform um, our entire yard so that they are useful and productive every day of the year, all through the season? So I expand beyond, you know, just edibles to think about, um, shrubs and perennials, things that complement, really, the vegetable garden. 
And it's not just an aesthetic thing. It just so happens that the flowers that we love to, to pick for bouquets and to bring you know, into the house to put on the table, those same flowers and shrubs are really the um, flowers that are attracting beneficials to the garden. So when we talk about wanting to have an organic vegetable garden, I believe that it's a system that we need to incorporate into our entire yard. And that system is then planting the shrubs and the flowers um, so that we have something to pick, um, you know, all through the year. When you talk about beneficials, you're talking about pollinators, I imagine, but are you also talking about beneficial insects, insects that might uh, do some of the work that pesticides usually do in other gardens? Yes, yes. So beneficials of all kinds. Yes, of course, birds, of course, bees, um, pollinators, um, absolutely. But yes, um, I'm talking about attracting then the, the bad bugs, or let's see, how, do, how does it go? Attracting bugs that are going to kill the bad bugs in our garden, yes. So, um, and, it, and it just so happens that, that those are many of the flowers, some of the asters, some of the parsley, everything in the parsley family, um, all of that, um, wonderful to attract um, those insects that are going to eat the aphids and eat the things um, that are attacking our vegetables. Well, attacking the vegetables, and you're talking about the parsley family too, so I, I guess some of the animals that come to the garden will sample some of <laughs> the things that you're growing, um, and I, I'm trying to live with more holes, you know what I mean? <laughs> Getting used to a kind of Swiss cheese planting, uh, not necessarily in the things I want to harvest, but I, I grow some things to, as you said, for the beneficial insects, but, uh, you know, I, I but if I want to see butterflies, I want to have butterfly larvae and, and tolerate them. Yes. You know, it's such an interesting thing that you mentioned because that sort of idea, really, that relaxation, you know, in our brains as Americans, I think we are beginning to relax a little bit. I hope we are beginning to relax a bit. I mean, you think about that even with food in the grocery stores, um, you know, we, we always want to have the perfect, you know, apple, you know. And um, when you grow your own food and when, um, you know, you're, you're having organic uh, fruits and vegetables, they're not going to be perfect. Right. And uh, that's okay. You know, they're just as, as wonderful. So anyway, that, I, I diverge into food, but um, it's the same thing in the garden. One thing that I love um, is that, yes, it is a working garden. So my garden is never perfect. There's never, uh, it's like a work of art. It's not something that is finished. It's in process. And I'm okay with that. If something isn't working, if something, you know, is overcome with disease, well, we can rip that out, you know, and try something else. That's something we talk about on the show all the time, and it seems that my guests more and more and more are talking about the, never having the garden done and not wanting it to be gun, done. You know, the whole idea of, you know, get your garden done in no time, this, we don't even understand that. <laughs> right. right. Well, um, well, one thing that I love, um, a lot of my study has been of uh, the monastic garden, monastery gardens. And, um, you know, I, I love and borrow that idea really for my own life and my own design. But, you know, this idea of the monks then 
enclosed behind a wall, harvesting and, and planting and saving seed. But one thing that I love, um, the Latin names, officinalis. So salvia officinalis, lavendula officinalis. Anytime you see officinalis on a word, um, on a plant, that means that it was once grown in monastery gardens. Hmm. So some of these great, you know, um, medicinal plants and um, edible plants with the, with the ending officinalis were grown in monastery gardens. And there is a derivation of that word that, that somehow ends up as having the meaning of workshop. So I love that. That's another thing that I borrow our gardens, it's a workshop. Hmm. I'm speaking with Jennifer Bartley, a landscape architect, who is also the author of The Kitchen Gardener's Handbook. And you're listening to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. We'll be right back. Thank you for staying with us. My name is Ken Drews. I'm the host of Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Today's guest is Jennifer Bartley, a registered landscape architect and the founder of the design firm American Potage LLC in Granville, Ohio. And Jennifer, you're in Ohio. So uh, it reminds me with winter coming, I think I, I found a recipe for lemon chicken a while back uh, and it was January and it called for time. And I went out to the garden and searched under the snow and sure enough there were sprigs of thyme that i could harvest for that recipe and i know that you're into the four season aspects of gardening and since we're going into the cold seasons what are some of the things that you might do or have or think about during the winter that we can eat well that is a great question yes so i'm in zone five um you know it, it gets cold i I'm not, I don't have a greenhouse, so I'm not growing, um, you know, things in a greenhouse. And really, my garden, I, I kind of refer to it as a tasting garden. So I want something to nibble on, you know, and grow and have um, all of the time. So in the winter, yes, thyme, you can, you, thyme can be evergreen, even in my garden. Sage it is an evergreen. Um, I can find that. Uh, for the holidays, uh, Thanksgiving, I can usually walk out and, and harvest some sage. Another thing that uh, I am enjoying doing is growing um, greens under glass. So, well, you said you didn't have a greenhouse, so uh, what do you mean under glass? Oh, okay, well, yes, well, what I mean by little uh, bell jars, the cloches. So um, just a small um, glass jar. Uh, beautiful, you know the French. Of course, it, uh, cloche means bell. Um, came from from the French, and the English, in fact, um, during the early 1900s, that's how they grew um, all of their, uh, you know, greens and things. They would have rows and rows of these glass um, bell jars set up. So anyway, I don't have rows and rows, but I have a few, <laughs> and so um, they look, you know, lovely in the garden in the winter. And I have been able to harvest, um, even in, after sub-zero temperatures, I can get uh, what, what's called, uh, some pronounce it mosh, I pronounce it mash. Anyway, it's a, a green that I have snipped and in the middle of winter, um, and it's lovely. Now, if you're a little bit farther south uh, with a little, you know, cold frames or just a little protection of glass, 
You could grow um, kale and spinach and mustards, um, arugula, all of the cold season um, greens you could probably grow, you know, year round if you're a little further south. Me, it's, it's mash works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to try that because uh, I'm in zone six. And uh, I think, and I have some cloches that I, I always think they're so beautiful, and I don't use them for anything. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's it's such a joy, you know, to trudge through the snow, um, and you know, pry open the gate, you know, and and get into the garden. You're sort of defying winter, you know, defying the elements, you know, even if it's just a little bit that you're harvesting. So. Well, I think if you've grown some root crops root vegetables during the summer and there might be some still in the ground if you mulch that now with a, a pretty thick mulch you can, and keep that the ground open you can go out and harvest well in in january and february yes yes all, all the root crops and of course even after you harvest the root crops um you know uh parsnips and rutabaga and turnips they will keep, you know, indoors. They have, you know, they will last uh, in the refrigerator for quite a long time. And then even the winter squashes, you know, that you harvested at the end of fall, the ones with the hard, tough, uh, you know, waxy shell, um, Hubbard squash and acorn squashes, they will last. I, you know, leave them on my countertop sometimes, you know, or on my table. And uh, they will stay there, and, and then you can... Um, cut them in half, roast them, uh, use them in, in the winter. Is your house kind of cool? <laughs> well, it is kind of cool. <laughs> uh, we, Gosh, we have electric heat, which is very cold heat, as a matter of fact. So. Uh, well, you're, you're making your home green, I'm sure, as well <laughs> as the garden. <laughs> I, I have a cabinet in the kitchen where my butternut squash goes and I have to tell you, I'm eating butternut squash in April. Yeah, it, it's fabulous. Uh, another thing, is, so in this, uh, in my new book, the Kitchen Gardener's Handbook, I also think about what are the the greens and the berries that we can walk through our landscape and harvest. Um, I love to make my own wreaths or table decorations, and they're not extravagant. They're very simple, and this is my philosophy too: is that nature and the flowers and the things that we harvest have their own beauty and we don't need to fuss so much in worrying about how they're arranged i i just plop them you know in a vase or or something but evergreens we can be clipping evergreens now um of course i say that with caution you know the, the, our grand evergreens they don't grow the the branches again so you have to be selective and you have to be careful. Um, but if you're in an older home, uh, you know, with an older landscape, you might have things that you need to be trimming anyway. Mm -hmm. So save that trimming, save your trimming chores uh, for the winter and for the holidays and um, go out and snip a few. Winterberry, lovely, fabulous, um, so wonderful. The bright red berries, holly berries. So that's part of the theory, too, is that we need to design our landscapes. Okay, so this is the, now, again, a design issue. What is it that we want to grow? If we want to harvest something and pick something in the winter, um, what should we be thinking about, you know, a, a, as a design? Some of the evergreens, 
by the way, are fabulous for um, creating structure for the vegetable garden. So a boxwood hedge, um, you know, is lovely, and you can be trimming that for um, arrangements. Well, I'm, I, I know from experience that you can go out any time the year round into the garden and find something for for a, a flower arrangement or or a greens arrangement or even the the faded dried heads of hydrangea absolutely um brown is a color too <laughs> <laughs> well you went you mentioned winterberry and i for some reason it popped into my head that the berries that we're seeing now are the berries that the birds take late and that's why we see them. That's why the winterberry lasts so long because it's 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 food for birds that come later and need food later. And of course, we don't take all the berries, of course, because we're growing yeah. them for ourselves and for, for for the wonderful birds that visit the garden. Uh, I do you actually have recipes in the book too? Uh, yes, I do. So um, by season, then uh, you know, every uh, there are four chapters in the book um, by season, and so I give tips on what to plant, what to harvest, you know, chores to do, but also some of the great, um, you know, things that we are harvesting. I describe those. And then, yes, uh, what can we do with those wonderful things we're harvesting from the garden? So, yes, I have recipes. Well, you mentioned the sage leaves before, and I, I looked at my sage the other day. It didn't look very nice. <laughs> it was kind of limp, but what, what can I do with those sage leaves? Well, um, Sage is fabulous, of course, in uh, stuffing, dressing. That's the traditional um, herb for stuffing. I love to uh, saute it in butter and um, get some flavor. If you have time that you can also scrape from the garden, that's great. Um, so dressing, then you, you, you just add that then with you know green onion and um, over some bread and then bake it in the oven mm. with a little broth. Another thing I love to do with sage, uh, it's kind of elegant, is to um, slip it under the skin then of uh, poultry. So Cornish game hens or something, if you wanted to serve a really nice uh, roasted um, Cornish game hens, you could slip those whole sage leaves under the skin and then when you roast it in the oven, um, adds a flavor to uh, the poultry and then you know looks lovely. Well, I'm taking away from our conversation that structure is important, that herbs are a very big part of what you grow, and uh, you mentioned the raised beds. So uh, I think I think we have to get the book. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for being my guest today and speaking to the audience, and I'm going to get your book, which I don't have yet, but I'm going to rush out and get it or okay. uh, go to, to Timber Press and get it from them or to Amazon. And uh, we'll put a link to your website on the kendrewsrealdirt.com website. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining me. All right. Thank you, Ken. I don't think that we can emphasize enough the importance of the idea of structure, paths, permanent elements for a vegetable garden if you want the vegetable garden to look really good. And Jennifer said that she uses raised beds. She grows her vegetables in raised beds, and I know that she grows flowers among them too. But just think about the difference between rows with just a path that's where you walk and maybe there's some weeds around there, and actually a, a determined, clear, obvious path, permanent path, 
It could be flagstones, stepping stones. It could even be gravel. But something that you you recognize, something that holds the whole picture together, because that's that's so effective and so important in any garden, but even more important in a garden that tends to get kind of floppy by the end of the season, a garden that doesn't have that much inherent structure. Now, she uses hedges, too, and plants like boxwood to bring more structure into the garden with evergreens. And she was talking about how she could also use those for clippings, for making arrangements in the winter. And I I do that all the time, all through the winter, picking things, this and that, and even some strangely dried and faded things. And Jennifer reminds us that brown is a color too. And it certainly is. But I'm going to think a lot more about structure and uh, structure for vegetable gardens especially, and I have, my vegetables are all over the garden. They're in containers, they're in any open space. Wherever there's sun, that's where the vegetables go. And often that is in in containers. But then I'm certainly not a traditional vegetable gardener because I grow the things I like to eat, but also the things that like to grow in my garden. And with limited sun, I'm limited. Tune in again next week for another edition of Kendrew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I will be pleased to see you then. Bye for now.